Hey, welcome to Bridgeway. If you haven't met, my name is Joel, and you are catching us at the tail end of a series that we are calling Reactions Speak Louder Than Words. And the thought that's been guiding us through this journey this month is this reality we'll put on the screen right here, is that our actions speak louder than words. We've all heard that, right? That's a truism from our childhood. Uh, but our reactions speak louder than either. Our actions speak louder than words, but our reactions, how we respond in a moment, it speaks louder than either our actions or our words. There's something powerful about our reactions that actually show us what's going on underneath the hood of our lives, right? When you get caught in a moment, there's something about our reactions that are powerful that it actually reveals what we believe to be true about ourselves, others, and ultimately God. Our reactions are so powerful, and specifically our reactions to the things that don't go our way, right? When something is out of your control and somebody does something or says something or powers up to you, how we respond to that, it reveals a lot. When uh, the circumstances of our lives happen and the trivia falls down on us and we never expected this situation, what now kind of situation, how we react to that, man, it, re it reveals a lot about what we believe to be true about ourselves, others, and of God. And that's what we've been journeying towards uh, this month here on Sundays at Bridgeway. But before we go any farther, um, you all, many of you had a, an opportunity to react in a powerful way uh, last Sunday. If you were here last Sunday, you guys know what I'm talking about. If you weren't here, you picked a, the wrong week to skip church is all I'm saying. Because we did a reverse offering at the end of our services. And what this means is we did not receive or take a financial offering, but we had divided up our, um, through our annual giving, our weekly giving number financially, and we had cashed that out in $50 bills, and we gave every single adult who's in attendance $50 to do this, to go be rich in good deeds, to go spread God's love, his kindness, to be looking for opportunities to react to somebody and their situation with grace and with mercy. And man, we were just inundated with stories this last week of what you were able to do, what we were able to do as a church. I want to share a few of those stories <clears throat> with you. Uh, one person wrote in and said, when my husband and I were handed the envelopes, a name was laid on my heart immediately. She was an old friend who struggled with addiction for most of her adult life, so much so that she lost custody of her children. She worked hard to stay sober and go through the steps and took all the right steps to better herself. She ultimately regained custody and has been sober now now for five years. Amazing, right? But we knew with four kids going back to school and back to school time financially, this was draining. So they decided um, that they took the $100 they had as a couple and they matched it from their own pockets to give her $200. She was so surprised and so thankful that the kids were jumping up and down with excitement. Isn't that an amazing thing, right? Somebody else wrote, um, I gave $50 to a clerk at a store in Kokomo. Uh, she's a lifetime Kokomo resident that I see all the time. She has a teenage son and she's strapped for catch. She was speechless and shed a few tears. And then I started shedding a few tears and things got awkward, uh, but really beautiful. Uh, another story. I gave mine to a young woman who always serves us at Dairy Queen. Last month, she witnessed her brother have a stroke and pass away in front of her. 
Um, they were struggling to cover costs and just reeling with grief. But we found that we were just in the right place at the right time to bless them through the reverse offering. Another person said, God led me to bless a parent in Walmart. Uh, they were doing back to school shopping with the kids and I just knew God wanted me to reach out and I gave them the envelope and told them that God loves them and that I hope that this was a blessing for them. Thanks Bridgeway for helping us help others. This was such a cool thing to be a part of. And then the last story, someone wrote and said, there was an older woman who often cuts through the work, my work parking lot. Uh, I went up to her, met her, introduced myself, gave her a bottle of water, and then ultimately gave her $50 after hearing her story. She was speechless, and I hope that I made a friend that day as well. Isn't that awesome? Can we just like give God glory for that? I mean, yes. Something so cool is that all these stories were anonymous, right? No one's like blasting this. I mean, look at me, look at me, look at me. Um, and I love that so much. That's just the heart of what we want to be as a church. So I know many of you guys have still got your envelopes and you're thinking like, well, I got some back to school shopping going on. You got other things going on. But I just want to encourage you, man, unless you are in a, in a dire financial situation, jump into this generosity game. Keep asking God for um, the uh, vision to give you of somebody that you can bless and how you can involve your kids in it, your whole family in it. It's going to be an awesome thing as we keep it going. Sound good? Awesome. So that's a beautiful way that we react to things. Uh, but the reactions that we have been talking about more often in this series are when things don't go our way. How do we react when things um, go terribly wrong or they knock us off of our equilibrium? And we have been challenging you. We've all been in this challenge together to practice the art of what we're calling the over under reaction, right? We all know what an overreaction is when someone's like, disciplining their kids in public and they end up looking more like a kid than their kid does. But we want to practice the art of the over underreaction when something bad happens for us to underreact so much so that people are like, what? It's like it's going over to the overside because they're underreacting so much. Like who would do that? Who would say that? Who would respond to that in that way? It's the art of the over underreaction. And we actually, we're not pulling this out of thin air. We think that when you look at the person of Jesus and how he walked through his life, how he dealt with adversity, with challenge, with people being cruel to him, how he dealt with circumstances that no one would ever want of themselves, he was the master of the art of the over-under reaction. And there's something so beautiful and dare I say like so like mischievous about Jesus is that he saw these times when he was treated unfairly or unjustly, or unkindly, he saw those moments as an opportunity to react in a way that would get people to go, like the John Travolta meme, like, like that kind of a thing, right? Like, what are you doing? Like, it would get people to stop and stare. It would get people to ask questions, like, what is wrong with them? They would stop and stare because they would be like, hey, wait, you should be so angry. You should want to return the favor and get revenge. You should be so bitter after what they did to you. You should be wanting to get even with them. Hey, if that was me, I would be blasting them on social media all about it. Like, it's that kind of a thing. But you're being quiet about it. You just don't really care about drawing things evenly. It's the art of the over under reaction. And that's what we're, we're challenging us all to, to become aware of our reactions, to investigate our reactions. And then to ask ourselves some challenging questions about what it means to follow Jesus with our reactions. And as I've been going through this journey, I, I was writing down in my notes, like there's a question that I started to ask myself to investigate, to reflect on how I react when things don't go my way. And here's the question I want to, this has terrorized me this week, so I'd love to terrorize all of you with this question this week as well, because I love you so much. Here's the question. What do my reactions to disappointment, to hurt, 
criticism, or negative events communicate about my confidence and trust in God? In other words, what do my reactions when things don't go my way, what did they tell? What story do they tell to people about my confidence in God? And this has been just like gnawing at me this whole week. And I, I think it should just leave us a little uneasy as well. Um, because the reality is that if people are looking at our lives and looking at our stories, is it possible that people see my faith as just a means to an end for me sometimes? And if I don't get what I want when I want it, I sort of put my faith aside and I'm chicken littling, like the whole sky is falling when something doesn't come my way. And people are like, oh, that's the kind of faith he has. And this faith must not be that big of a deal. Is it possible that others don't take our faith, our trust in Jesus seriously because they see the way that we lose it when something doesn't go our way. We make big deals, mountains out of molehills. Is it possible that our reactions when things don't go our way, they tell a story about what our God is like? And that story is a story of a puny God, <laughs> a God who is not the one who still has the whole world in his hands, but it can often tell people a story of God that's not the real thing. <laughs> What do, your, what do my reactions to things, what do they tell, what do they reveal, what do they communicate about our confidence and trust in God? I want us to sort of like sit with that for a moment, because <laughs> I think what you will find yourself if you're being real is that you're like, yeah, it doesn't communicate what I want it to communicate. It doesn't reveal what I want it to reveal. And I think we're all still on this journey, but I want us to have that tension in the forefront of our minds when we look back on some of the truths that we've discovered these last couple of weeks, because we've, we've learned that our reactions, they reveal a lot. We put it this way in the very first week, that our reactions are an opportunity to show people what our heavenly father is like. Jesus, in his teaching, he often uh, would teach his kingdom partners, his followers, to live in such a way that wasn't like everybody else. And he would challenge them in his teaching to not return evil for evil. And if someone begs you to go one mile, go two with them. Be an extra mile kind of person. When someone abuses their power and they put their thumb on you and they power up to you, don't meet them. Don't match them and go tit for tat with them. But show them the way that your heavenly father reacts to you in those moments. He says that we are a beautiful way that people could see what our Heavenly Father is like. And when we show mercy, when we show forgiveness, when we don't power up when everybody else is powering up, we see more a picture of what our Heavenly Father is like. He, he taught us that. Jesus taught us that. But it wasn't just his teaching. It was the way that he walked through the world that showed him as the master of the art of the over-under reaction. He showed us this, and this is another truth we discovered last week, that our reactions reveal our confidence in God and his character. That the way that we react when things don't go our way, when people are cruel to us, when people hurt us, man, it reveals our confidence or lack thereof in God and his character. When Jesus was, uh, you know, he wasn't handed hospitality and people were cruel to him, Jesus actually corrected and rebuked his followers who wanted to have a fight. And he said, no, this is okay. When Jesus was arrested, he didn't put up a fight. He knew there was a bigger story going on. When Jesus was uh, insulted and brutally um, abused before he went on the cross, <laughs> he, he looked at Pilate and he says, oh, you know, you, you think you're the big bad boss, but I know the real big bad boss, and he's actually a big good boss, and I'm going to trust him. Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, who walked with Jesus for three years, 
He's at the end of his life and he's recalling what Jesus was like and how Jesus reacted to the face of violence and oppression. And Peter wrote these words. And this is not a Bible verse. This is like a memory of Peter. Peter said this, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not, Jesus, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus, when he was being put on the cross, when he was having insults hurled at him, he didn't say, wait until my dad hears about this. No, instead he told a different story. He, he entrusted himself. He leaned his whole life up against his heavenly father, believing that his heavenly father has a plan and that he's still got the whole world in his hands. And he's a part of that. And it reveals how we react in these situations to circumstances, to mistreatment. Man, it reveals our confidence, our trust in our heavenly father. So what we've looked at these last couple weeks are those truths. But today I want to get more to the how do we do this? How do we steal ourselves? How do we enforce ourselves and reinforce ourselves to believe not just in our heads, but in our hearts and with our hands and our feet that we can trust this God with the outcomes, that controlling the outcomes of, of our lives, of, of our work, of our families, of our situations, man, that is a burden that we were not created to bear and we can actually entrust our very lives to our God who judges justly, who's still got the whole world in his hands. I, I want to I give you what Paul would say, be one of the secrets to letting faith leave that sphere of just hypotheticals, but to become something that reinforces your very life. And it'd be found in these words um, from Paul written in the book of Romans in our New Testament. And memory verse alert, memory verse alert, um, Let's, we got to look at this differently. But Paul says this in beautiful, flowery language. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Put that on like a plaque over your kitchen sink, right? Like it just sounds so flowery. It sounds like poetic. It sounds like, Paul, what world are you actually living in? It sounds just on the surface, let's just be real. This sounds like somebody who's not seen real life, what they would say about real life, right? Oh, if God is for us, who can be against us? God works all things together for good. Like it's all good. It's all going to work out, right? It seems like somebody who's like at the end of his career, who's got like that book deal, like sitting back on a lounge chair on the beach saying, I'm going to write the Bible and I'm going to write some inspirational Christian thinking. <laughs> but what I want us to do is I want us to get more into the story of Paul's life and what was leading him to those words. Because I think, man, those words have teeth. Those words have legs. Those words hold the truth and the power to help us have confidence in God so we don't react like the sky is falling. So first, let's talk about Paul. Paul is not just a guy who's an author of the Bible. Paul enters into the story of our New Testaments in a surprising way. We learn that Paul was actually an up-and-comer in the Jewish leadership of that world. Paul was actually rising in the ranks. He was a student of one of the great rabbis of the time, Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was supposed to be the big deal. So anybody who sat at the feet of Gamaliel was going to be an up-and-comer. And he's going through the ranks and he actually hears about this Jesus movement, this Jesus teaching, and he actually wants to stop it. 
Jesus, I mean, Paul, who wanted to have nothing to do with Christians. He thought that it was a distortion of the truth of the Old Testament, and he wanted to stop it in its tracks. If you like hate Christians, if you're like have a hard time with religious people, like Paul is your guy, right? Because he wanted to have nothing to do with it. And his life was bent on stopping the Jesus movement until one day he was taking a 150 mile uh, camel ride from Jerusalem to Damascus and everything changed. And there's this miraculous scene where Paul is like, he falls off of his donkey, no pun intended. And he's there and he's seeing this blinding light and he hears a voice from the resurrected Jesus saying, Paul, I know your life is going to stop my movement. I want you to turn around and go in the opposite direction and tell everybody about me. And everything changed in Paul's life from there. And our stories are connected to that very moment in Paul's life. Everything changed because he became a leader in the early church. He went to tell everybody about this Jesus and the life that he has for everyone in this kingdom that everyone was invited into here and for all of eternity. His life changed. It was flipped upside down. But hear me, it was not flipped upside down with all comfort and happiness and beautiful, rosy circumstances at all. (laughs) From this moment in Paul's life, man, he struggled and was hit with about everything you could possibly imagine. And I just want to run us down a a non-exhaustive list of the things that Paul experienced after he said yes to Jesus. We hear this in Philippians 3, that Paul lost all of his friends and all of his prestige of moving up the ladder in the Jewish system. He was a popular guy, an up-and-comer, and he threw his career away, and he lost everybody because he just had to tell people about Jesus. His friends thought he was crazy. Some of his friends went to want to have him killed. He lost all of his social circle, all of his prestige because of his mission of following Jesus. We're told this, the book of Acts, that he gets stoned at Lystra, nothing with drugs. He was like rocks thrown at him. He was in a town where he was once welcomed as a hero, and they ran him out of town trying to kill him, threatened his life. He's on the run, a renegade. He once, they rolled out the red carpet for him once as a great teacher and leader, and now they want to have him killed. We're told this, that he has work contention over John Mark. Paul and Barnabas are partners in this mission of telling people about Jesus. They have a fight over one of their colleagues, John Mark. And they end up splitting up and going in different directions. They, Paul had work drama. Can anybody replate or, you know, like they understand what Paul is like, right? He experienced this and it was heart-wrenching and challenging for him in his relational world. We told this that Paul gets imprisoned after casting out a demon in Acts 16. He does this miraculous thing through the power of the Holy Spirit and people want him killed for it. They want to arrest him to make sure it can't happen anymore. And then Paul gets thrown into prison. And then a lot of Paul's remaining life was spent in prison. He was really well accustomed to a dark, musty dungeon cell in chains because he kept telling people that Caesar's not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And he's resurrected and he's coming again. He's making all things new. He found himself in prison because of this over and over and over again. Not only that, but there was an assassination plot against Paul's life. He had to flee from Jerusalem, which used to be his like hometown. There was an assassination plot on his life because people were like, we got to shut this guy up. We're told this near the end of his life. He's shipwrecked on the island of Malta. He's traveling to tell people about Jesus in Rome. And then there was a terrible storm and he's actually shipwrecked. This sounds like a Disney movie kind of thing, but this is what went on. With Paul. And then to make matters worse, when they get to Malta, we're told this, that Paul is bit by a poisonous snake. And like Indiana Jones, Paul would say, I hate snakes. 
And there's more and more and more of Paul's story. This is, again, a non-exhaustive list. But Paul's life of following Jesus was filled with people coming after him, people criticizing him, people correcting him, people saying he was wrong, wanting to stop him. And it was full of life circumstances that were less than ideal. And that's, I think, what makes what Paul says in Romans 8 so powerful. When we think of the context of him writing to a group of Jesus followers in Rome he hasn't met yet, but he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to let them know that there's a, there's a way that we can walk to where we don't chicken little when life gets hard and we don't fight back when people come at us, but there's a different truth that we can steal in ourselves to enforce us. And with all that in mind, let's look at the powerful words. Let's take the triteness and the truism out of it and let's look at what Paul, this real man, said. He said this, and we know, know there is not a word of intellectual knowledge, but it's a word of confidence, of leaning your life up against this truth. We know it in our bones that in all things, God works. In all things. Now, you might be saying, like, Paul, come on, like, you're like a Bible guy. I know you're supposed to have all this thing figured out, but like, like all things. Let me, and you're like thinking, like, what about my all things, Paul? Like, I've got this co-parenting disaster with my ex-spouse. Um, I've got this supervisor that every time that I get a text or an email with their name, I like break out into hives. Um, I've got this deal with my kids right now to where they're not listening and they're headed down the wrong path and I don't know what to do with them. Like, and you're like, Paul, really in all things? And I think Paul would like look back at us kind of like with a bit of a smirk and be like, yeah, you want me to run my list of all things up against that? Like here, you don't have to believe me, but trust me what I'm saying here is that we know we have confidence in all things that God works. And this is where we run into trouble sometimes if you're a little bit cynical, because sometimes I think people throw this Bible verse out at us in a way to try to encourage us. It's all going to work out. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. And we don't receive it because we're like, yeah, that might be true, but it's not helpful. And I, I hear you in that. I'm in that camp with you. But hear me, when, when Paul says that in all things God works, I don't believe Paul is saying that in all things God works it out for your comfort. I think what Paul is saying in all things, in those bad things, God works through them. And God works in you through them. He doesn't cause them, but he'll do something in you and through them for your, what Paul says next, God works for the good. Paul says, we know that in all things, God works for the good. And sometimes we have how we define good gets challenging, right? Because we define good with comfort. We define good with exactly according to my program. But what Paul is saying here is that God will take the worst things that happen to you from the small criticism at work to the death of a child. He'll take the worst that life can throw at you. And he's so good. He's so creative that he'll take the pieces from the wreckage of those moments and he'll create a beautiful mosaic from it. Hear me, God does, I don't believe that God causes these terrible things to happen, but I believe with all that I am, and I'm leaning my life up against this truth, that God's going to use everything, and he will use everything to make beauty and good out of it. And Paul is saying this from someone who has seen some stuff in his life. <laughs> He's been in it. And he says, no, this is what I know and I'm leaning my life and I have confidence in that he works for the good. 
And he starts to qualify this, of those who love him. And I don't want us to move past this because we think about like those who love him. Like, I love God. They love God. Like, don't we love the warm fuzzies we get during worship? And oh man, when we get that extra check in the mail, we're like, oh, I love God. God is so good. And that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that love in a way of just, um, just the warm fuzzies. It's not like this kind of like, ah, I love God. No, this is a tough kind of love. This is a steely kind of love. He actually goes on to qualify uh, those who love him in this next part of the verse. He says this, those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. He says those who love him are people that are lining their lives up with the purposes of God that they look at the feet pathway of Jesus and they're like, yeah, I want to move my feet and shadow that and be called according to his purpose to put the world back together, to bring hope and peace to people's chaos, to uh, bring what we say around here, the up there down here to like usher in God's kingdom in the here and now that's going to last for all of eternity. He says that when you line your your feet up with that, when you're called according to his purposes, Oh man, you start to see good everywhere. You can't help to see how God does the creative and beautiful and sacred work of taking our brokenness and making beautiful things out of it. And again, Paul is not saying this in poetry. Paul is saying this from someone who has been in it. And he says, this is what I know and I'm leaning my life up against that I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And he continues a few verses later and he says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? Paul is going to give us some words. Paul is going to give us a phrase that he wants us to actually speak back to those all things, those things that stink, those reactions, those relationships, those hurt moments, those circumstances that come out of left field that we were never prepared for that leave us thinking, oh, what now? What next? When's the other shoe going to drop? That's those these things that he's talking about. And Paul is saying, I'm going to give you words to speak in, here's our word for the series, in reaction to those things, in response to those things. And the next time that you have one of those moments come into your life, whether it be a person, whether it be a situation or a circumstance, I want you to respond with these words, to say back, to speak back to those things. And what he's going to do in these next couple moments, he's going to give us words that are not a truism, not trite, but words that if they leave our head and they go to our heart, man, it's going to change everything. Paul says this, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is what I want you to talk back to those circumstances. This is what I want you to talk back, probably not out loud, to your supervisor. <laughs> probably in your heart. <laughs> but this is what Paul's encouraging us to say, to speak, to believe, not in our heads, but in our hearts as well. If God is for us, if he's on our side, if he is for my flourishing, and if he is faithful, then who can stand against us? Who can be against us? Who can fight back? Who can hold a candle to that at all? This is the big faith, the big trust, the confidence instilling reality that I'm telling you guys, it can change everything. Because we're saying here, like, well, they're not for me. My circumstances definitely are not for me often. But if God is for me, if the one who's, 
put that last breath in your lungs, if the one who's holding the world all together, if the one who died and rose again and is coming again, if he is for me, that could change things. This is the perspective. This is what we talk back. This is how we react in a way that looks like Jesus, is that we believe this and we bring it to our minds and our hearts when those situations occur. I want to shift around the pronouns a little bit. I want this to get practical for us, to get something to where it feels like something you can hold and you can live with. But let's shift around those pronouns. And this is the reality. Here's the secret. Here's the special sauce. What do we say to those things that happen that knock us off our equilibrium? We say this, if God is for me, who can be against me? Can we do this together? School's about to start. Can we do this together? Can we just practice this out loud? If God is for me, who can be against me? One more time. If God is for me, who can be against me? This is the, the thing that changes everything, you guys. This is the faith, confidence, instilling thing. The next time you've got a meeting with that person from work, man, before, you, before the meeting starts for you to take a breath and believe this and say, if God is for me, this is, this is small potatoes, right? The next time that someone says that one thing to you that like really gets under your skin, like, oh, you're just like your father, you're just, you know, that thing, right? You know, the next time you hear that, instead of just giving them the zinger of the century, you've been holding back for just a moment, such as this. What if you would take a breath and you'd say in the quietness of your heart, no, if God is for me, who can be against me? The next time that you're crippled with anxiety over what could possibly happen, but you're living in those results of like, like it's already happened, the next time if you would just steal away a moment to say this in the quietness of your heart and to believe this, like if God is for me, who can possibly be against me? Who can possibly be against me? But you might have a moment here where you're like, okay, that sounds very Sunday school. That sounds very like Christianese, Joel. Like, can we move to real life stuff? That you feel like, Joel, you're just here at the church six days a week, basically, and you get like one day off for good behavior or whatever. Um, but this is not the real world kind of stuff here, right? And you might be asking like, you're going back to that first word of that phrase, like if, like, how do we know this? Like, I mean, it's confidence thing. How do we know? Like, if, I mean, there's possibly if God is for us. How do you know? Because I'm living in that land of if, and I hear you in that. I see you in that. And there are days that I live. There are weeks that I live in that if. Paul's going to answer our question of how we can have confidence and what we can look back on, what we can trust, and why we can believe that God is for us. And there's no if about it. Paul says this in the very next verse, 32, he says this. If God is for us, who can be against us? And he, cl he clarifies, he says, and this is how we can know. Because he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Paul, Paul says, look at the cross. Remember the cross, not as a Bible story, not as flannel graph, but something that happened in human history where your father in heaven saw the mess that you make and the mess that I make and the mess that we all make of his good world. And instead of just blowing it all up and starting over, he goes, I'm going to insert myself into the story. I'm going to pay the tab. I'm going to pick up the price and I'm going to die a death to set the record straight. He did that for you. He did that for me. And this is real stuff, but he gave him up for us all. This is how we can know that even though life is not lovely, hear me, you guys, this is how we can know, even though life is not lovely, 
even though it is a slog and it is a challenge and people hurt us and people have bad intentions and we are dealing with the consequences, this is how we can know that God is love and that he is for us. And Paul doesn't stop there. He continues this thought and he says this in the end of this verse. How will God, he not also, along with him, Jesus, graciously give us all things? And there's all things that he's talking about here is a list of all the attributes that come with being a part of the family of God. He'll talk about being justified to stand before God and be exonerated in a court scene, um, to be adopted into his family, even though we don't always hold the family resemblance, to be adopted in as his children, to be given his inheritance, to be given resurrection power. Paul would later go on to say that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of his sons and daughters. And Paul's saying, man, if he knows he's going to give us all these things, what's a shipwreck? What's being thrown in prison? What's this vapor of my life in light of eternity? He's going to graciously give us all things. You guys, this is the perspective that changes everything. This is the perspective that will make us steely and tough and confident in situations that would most of the time knock us off of our equilibrium to where we want to power up and strike back, or where we we just want to throw our hands up in the air and be like, well, I guess God's not real, or I guess God's not good because this situation happened. This is the perspective that helps us see the whole picture. I remember years ago when we first got, um, probably five or six years ago, we first got our uh, really nice television that was 4K. I think they're mostly 8K now, but anyway, the 4K TV, like the Best Buy special. I remember getting it home and putting it up on our mantle, and I was like so excited to like put in like a Blu-ray of Star Wars and see the dazzling high definition of 4K. And I remember Jack, who was like just like two years old, he was like sitting really close to it. I'm like, buddy, if you sit really close to it, you're not going to like See the full, you got to stand back and see the whole picture. You got to see more than just your current circumstance, but see your current circumstance in the whole picture. And you got to see this vision taking a step back. I think this reality of us saying, if God is for us and us believing that if God is for us, then who can stand against us? Man, that helps us have that perspective where we see all the corners, we see the whole plot, we see the whole narrative laid out before us, and it empowers us, it strengthens us, it helps us show what our Heavenly Father is like, and it helps us build our confidence in Him. So real practically, I want you to think the next time when someone treats you like an enemy, or in your minds, they are your enemy. I want you to know if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to return evil for evil. You don't need to play the one-up game. You say in the quietness of your heart, if God is for me, who can stay against, stand against me. And you believe that, you trust that, you lean your life up against that, and you'll over-under-react. You'll live in a way that'll be like, what's wrong with them today? And Jesus is like, you're onto something. When something happens, the next time in your circumstances, a call, an email, um, a response, a text, a, a, a meeting that you would have never picked for yourself, know that you don't have to panic. You don't have to lash out. You don't have to chicken little. In the quietness of your heart, you say, if God is for me, who can stand against me? And I know this because of what God has done for me through Jesus at the cross. And people will see you over underreact. They'll see that quiet confidence in you, not a confidence in yourself, but a confidence in a heavenly father who has still got 
the whole world in his hands. My friends, this is how we react. I'm going to make up a word here, Christianly. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus when stuff doesn't go our way. Because our reactions, you guys, we'll look at this again, our reactions, they are an opportunity to show people what our Heavenly Father is like and our reactions. Next one here. And our reactions reveal our confidence in God and His character. Investigate your reactions. Reflect on them. Because you guys, hear me. We have such an opportunity to show people what our God is like with the way that we react. We have such an opportunity in this day and this time for such a moment as this to be different in our reactions, to be weird in our reactions in a way that looks like Jesus, that points people to Jesus. Don't, I don't want us to miss the weight of this. So the next time you've got a parenting crisis, the next time you want to just react and throw everything in it, man, know that we have an opportunity to shine Jesus. The next time, and we're heading into this, my friends, in this next eight-month period of time, the next time somebody says something politically that you disagree with on social media, (laughs) you have an opportunity to react in a way that visceral and anger and venom and they're stupid and I'm hired, I'm smarter, all that kind of stuff. You have an opportunity to do that, but you can't do that and follow Jesus at the same time. In our workplaces, we have an opportunity. You guys, our reactions when things don't go our way, often, I believe they're the best evidence to those around us that we actually believe in a loving, forgiving, in-control God. So let's go show people that this week. Let's be people that over-under-react because our Heavenly Father still has the whole world in His hands. And if our God is for us, who can stand against us?